When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Well, welcome to the latest edition of the uh, Royal Blue Podcast as we look forward to Everton's trip to the South Coast where they uh, face Southampton at St. Mary's. I'm your host, Chris Beasley. I'm joined here in the Echo offices with uh, Adam Jones and then remotely we've got Paul Wheelock and uh, regular guest uh, Gavin Buckland. Um, before we actually uh, move on ahead to the, the weekend's action, Adam, I mean, you were at Walton Hall Park last mm-hmm. night and it was more drama for the Everton women's team and uh, another victory eventually. Yeah, um, unfortunately it wasn't really a drama-filled game, like especially the first half. Uh, I think the only thing that happened was that there was a booking. <laughs> like Lucy Graham got booked and that was essentially the only thing that happened in the first half. wasn't even any corners or anything like that. I think Leicester... Leicester came to Walton Park still looking for their first win of the season. Yeah. And uh, they quite clearly set up Resolute in a in a similar sort of system to Everton, but they were, you know, two, both sides cancelled each other out, essentially uh, trying to high press, couldn't really break down the opposing defences. Uh, Everton only really got a foothold in the second half when they made a raft of four substitutions in two separate blocks. Uh, Hannah Benison particularly, uh, impressed when coming on Gio uh, coming on as yeah, a yeah. on the right wing she uh, she was really impressive as well and it took until the 94th minute for uh, Hannah Benison to loop in a free kick uh, Leicester keeper unfortunately for her has tried to uh, tried to come out and claim it amongst the amongst the crowd of bodies yeah. and has ended up unfortunately diverting it into a into her own net but you know <laughs> a, a, a huge win for for Everton, it manages to keep that positive momentum going after the Merseyside derby. And as like I wrote in my report, you know, it's it's one of those where you know it, it wasn't the best performance no. at all, especially when you compare it to the way that they uh, played at Anfield. But yeah. I think it's in those games where you really prove yourself over the course of a season. You know, haven't really played well at all there, but secured the one 0 win. Three points is all that matters, uh, and. Yeah, yeah. Three points in your first home game. You can't really, can't really complain. I don't think. Yeah, and just before we we move on, I was just say, you know, it was sold out at, at Walton Hall. Oh, Park yeah, well. yeah, absolutely packed to the rafters at Walton Hall yeah. Park. You know, the, the fans singing throughout. Uh, it was a really, really, as I say, positive atmosphere. That, and mm. you know, it, it's it's what you want from from those sort of games. And hopefully, uh, they'll be able to continue that uh, throughout the course of the season. You know, it's 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 about to get. Colder, yeah. <laughs> Walton Park. I have to say that it wasn't, it wasn't exactly warm last night. To be fair, and there was a sold-out crowd, and you know a lot of a lot of people there, which was nice. But yeah, yeah let's hope they can keep that positive energy going throughout the winter months to yeah. uh, to warm people up while they're there. Yeah, excellent. Right, Paul. It wasn't the only late development last night um, in terms of your your shift before you, um, you joined us at our weekly football game later, later on in, uh, in the evening. Uh, more, more takeover talks. I mean, it came out the blue, didn't it? I suppose. 
Yeah, yeah. I I was on till eleven seven, so I didn't have to work too extra. Uh, felt for poor Joe Thomas on Everton correspondence, who had his coat and bag on, ready to go home to see his family when the news dropped. I think it was just after five o'clock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think any of us saw it coming, did we? Really, because uh, Farad uh, Mishiri's second second open letter or statement in the yes. summer seemed to to draw a line under the fact that you know Everton were not up for sale. These talks were not continuing. So, yeah, it, it, it did come as a bit of a shock, and particularly given the source of uh, the news story, the Financial yeah. Times, you know, I'm, I don't think they – you wouldn't expect them to take a flyer, uh, maybe to, you know, to, to try and find a better term than that. But, yeah, that, that's that's what gave it credibility, didn't it? But, really, I, I can't speak for Joe because, obviously, he's not here today. He's going to be going down to Southampton with some of you guys. But he's checked it out from both sides. Uh and you know, certainly from from the Kaminsky side of it, it seems that that yes, there's still interest there, and that they are saying that talks are you know are continuing. But certainly, there doesn't seem to be you know as strong as line as to what the Financial Times were saying that it's it's close to being done. You know, but it's it, it it's just confusing, isn't it? You know, with as a club, we've had a really positive few weeks. You know, I think six unbeaten in all competitions, or is it seven? You know, certainly not lost in the league since Villa. Uh, it seems to have settled down a bit, and this is it's just muddied the waters a little bit. But you know, as me and you were speaking after football and yeah. before football last night, Chris, obviously there's still questions about how the the stadium is going to be funded, private. So you you can understand why Mr. Sherry may be looking down those avenues, as always said he would have done. But yeah, in terms of a takeover, I thought this this was all gone quiet, but it's it's just raised a few questions again. Yeah, Gav, does it concern you that something like that comes out the way it does? I mean. Mr. Bashiri, as Paul has said, um, was quite emphatic in his second open letter of the summer, cl- claiming the club wasn't for sale after they'd had that period of exclusivity. So there obviously was something going on there. And now um, it's su- supposedly back on the table. I mean, the, the phrase was advanced talks, but then the Echo understands that there's nothing imminent. I don't think, don't know how these things actually come out, to be honest with you. Don't they yeah. just come out by somebody? Uncover something, or yeah. you know, there's a there's a word in somebody's ear that there's plans afoot. So um, I think you know, whichever way you know, you 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 you'll always find out. As for as I think the timing here is everything, isn't it? We all know the pre- present economic conditions in this country and what it's meant for the pound. It means if yeah. you you've got dollars dollars to uh, spend in England, you can get. You know, get stuff that you probably now what you got 10 15 less than what you would have got it for in the summer, maybe more. So, I think the timing here is, is the biggest clue, isn't it? Uh, really, um, and um, that's where, where I'm coming from. As for Mercedes' letter, I go back to what I was saying before my, my house is not for sale, but if somebody comes yeah. in and gives me 100 more than the asking price, then I'm, I'm going to have a discussion, aren't I? So, I think, um I wouldn't lead too much into into Farhad's letter. He's basically saying it's not for sale unless somebody comes in with more than what I'm expecting for the club. Then I'll talk to them, which is what's happened in what, what's happened in the summer. And that's at the end of the day, that's his gift, isn't it? <laughs> you know, he owns whatever it is percentages of the business. Um, he uh, it's within his gift to to choose. I'm I'm just wondering whether if you think maybe if he did want to sell it, it's. We all know, as I say, going back to the current economic position, whether there's perhaps something in getting the funding for Bramley Moore is, is 
bit of an issue at the moment given the the state of the the economy and and the pound and so on. Yeah. Adam, I mean, your thoughts on, on, on the issue, like I said, it, 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 we, we thought it had been put to bed mm. in, in the summer and then it raised its head again. Well, it's, it's quite strange, isn't it? Yeah. Because, I mean, at least from the majority of our perspective, it doesn't really seem to have changed all that much from the yeah. position since July. I mean, I think the position that the, you know, that consortium always had was that they were, you know, still in some sort of discussions yeah. with Mr. Mashiri and that, you know, that still seems to be the case. I'm not sure how how they can be described as advanced or anything yeah. like that. Just because yeah. just because you continue to talk over a few months, I suppose yeah. that does that count as advancing? Yeah. Well, it, it's a bit mm-hmm. of a it's a bit of a grey area. But I think Gab's right in what he says, isn't it? I think it'd be silly for Mashiri to not entertain these sorts of conversations if you know if he does think that it's a valuation that he could potentially be interested in then you know it, it'd be it'd be wrong for him to not at least entertain the conversation and just yeah. see where it goes i think uh, the, the the important point at the minute is that the economy is absolutely in the mud <laughs> right yeah. now thanks to uh thanks to the uh, lovely conservative government <laughs> so uh, I, I just don't see how how these how these conversations are going to are, are going to continue going forwards? It, it it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But yeah, I, I, as I say, I, I'm in a in a quite similar position to Gab. I probably wouldn't read all that much into it at the minute. I think it's these are these are discussions that you know with this kind of thing they likely go on for a while anyway. Yeah. We've got you know the the issue of funding a new stadium involved in not as well as you know the actual sale of the club as well so you, you you've got to wonder how that uh, factors into the whole valuation that might transpire as well so it, just, it doesn't seem to me like it'd be any sort of quick fix or anything no. like that and I'm, I'm not really even sure if it's something that Farhad <laughs> has to come out and address directly you know as he did in the summer yeah yeah you know, I don't think the position has really actually changed all that much from mm-hmm. from that stage so I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's even anything that he will has or even has to come out and address. So yeah, it's, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a murky gray area at the minute. I think it's one that, you know, perhaps for now can just be brushed to the back of the mind and we can focus on matters on the pitch. Yeah. Well, what has changed, Paul, is that um, still Mr. Kaminsky um, heading these talks, but John Thornton and, and Peter Kenyon understand that are, are no longer involved. I mean, but back in the summer, I mean, it was something we discussed last night. Mm-hmm. Um, people were perhaps interested and want to know more about um, this group. But is is it a case of Mr. Mashiri? He's made mistakes, as he's admitted to in the in, in the first of his open letters, and uh, a, a lot of that money that he's invested his own money into the club has has largely been squandered. But we know that he is at least ambitious. Um, he said to really learn on the job, and has had some painful mistakes on the way. But is it almost a case of better the devil, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think so. I'd like to know more. I know we did a bit of a profile piece on <clears throat> Kaminsky last night, but, you know, mm. reading around the subjects, uh, Dave Pals, our business football writer at the Echoes, wrote about it quite extensively in the summer. I'd, I'd like to know more about how he would fund a takeover at Everton if 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 it was to prove to be the case. I think with Fahad Mishiri, I think, you know, I, I do believe his heart is in the right place. I do believe... 
that you know he has tried to take Everton on and like you know the development that we've with the point we've got with the stadium that will be his legacy if he gets that mm-hmm. done that will be his legacy you know no one else in the, the history of Everton football club will be able to deliver that and it, it, it hopefully will transform you know the club's fortunes and it's it and, and it completely transformed the future hopefully but I think the big the big criticism if he's had is it's really it's probably it's it's on the field isn't it you know like yeah. as you rightly said you know the, the recruitment has been poor it seems to have been confused seems to have too many people have had the say in it whereas probably now that's why i, I, I think adam and, and gather right you know probably should take this this latest report with a pinch of salt but it's just it feels like for the first time in a while there seems to be real joined up thinking at the club i don't know whether it's because you know, for Michelle, he's taking more of a step back on that, or he's just looked at this strategic review the club's had and said, "Okay, we need to put the power in the hands of Kevin Felwell and to probably to a lesser extent Frank Lampard, but obviously having a big say in it." And I think that is the way we've got to go. You know, in, in whoever's in control of the club, and I think hopefully he's learned some lessons. It may <laughs> probably the self-inflicted lessons, aren't they? Maybe. We've had to get to this point because we can't spend the money we've 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 had in them all because you know the, the trouble we've had with financial fair play or the dangers with that. So I'm hoping he is he's learned from the better. But you know, to answer your initial question, Chris, yeah, I think I think I, you can't do a, a project as big as as, as the Everton Stadium at Bramley Moor Dock without outside funding. I imagine so. I'm sure yeah. that we're going to hear more from this going going ahead. But from what I've heard about the Paminski Group in terms of a full takeover. No, I, I think I'd rather rather stick with uh, Mr. Mashiri for now. Yeah, there's, Gavin, I guess there's a couple of couple of uh, major issues here. Paul just mentioned um, the stadium funding issue because any sort of takeover of, of the club would also have to involve how is the stadium going to be financed as well. So you're not just got the the, the money for the club, but the, the money for the stadium mm-hmm. as well. And um, uh, we've mentioned about the the, the background of, of, of these people. I mean, the days of Local boy, don't don't good. Your Jack Walker's coming in. They're they're long gone now, and we can't expect somebody who's you know been in the boys' pen with Bill Kenwright to suddenly find a few billion in his pocket and take over the club. So we have to be realistic about that. But again, it's it's, it's another potential US owner coming into the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a pretty well known fact, isn't it, that they view in the US. Um, Premier League clubs has been undervalued compared to clubs in American sports. Yeah. Significantly undervalued. I don't necessarily agree with that, by the way. Um, and um, hence why they want to invest. I do have this dystopian view of the future that every club in the, the Premier League is owned by an American owner and they then run it like the NFL. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that... that Though that's um, not ne- that's a nightmare vision. It's not necessarily something that actually remains that. In fact, you don't need twenty owners. You only need fourteen, don't you? Um, yeah, you have this view of like fourteen agreeing to buy twenty Premier League clubs and then change the whole constitution of the of the Premier League. And, and, and I don't I don't think that's um, that's an unrealistic statement to make. Um, and, and and I think it, it, there's a lot of things going on here. That it's the wider it's the undervaluation of Premier League clubs, according to the index used to uh, value American clubs. It's seeing you know getting a lot of American investors in Premier League clubs, you know, opens that um, avenue for change. 
And I do think at the moment the weakness in the economy makes it good for if you're an American owner to, to buy British. And um, I think if you throw them three or four things into the pot and mix them all around, you, you get to where we are at the moment. Um, and I think it's, it's there's, a, there's a far wider point here about the direction of football's going, isn't it, really? And um, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've got a lot of American interest at the at the moment in British football for, for all those reasons. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We move on to more comfortable ground for us, the actual football and uh, St. Mary's uh, tomorrow, Adam. Uh, Frank... <laughs> conference was was yesterday and, and he's yeah. as expected he's been asked about um Dominic Calvert Lewin and, and his his fitness. I mean how, how would you you play it now with Dominic Calvert Lewin? How do you see it going forward? Well I think he's he, he's in a more preferable position right now than you know he was throughout last season with his injury I, w- I would suggest in the fact that Everton do have somebody who can play up front yeah. uh, in in his stead in Neil Mope who has you know, started his Everton career very well, yeah. uh, I would argue. And, and to be honest, even if Dominic Calvert-Lewin was fully fit, you'd think Mopé would yeah. would start regardless. So I think that's that's the difference this time around for me. And that's why I'm not particularly concerned about, you know, obviously he's he suffered, do you call it a setback over, over the course of the international break? He felt some tightness yeah. in a training session and, you know, he was just, he was just under closer supervision by the medical staff than he perhaps would have been. Uh, so it will be interesting to see whether he's involved in the squad uh, against Southampton. I think if, if I'm Frank Lampard, I'm probably in the position where I go, if there's any doubt over him at all, I probably just don't involve him yeah. because Everton haven't really been involved, uh, like allowed that luxury uh, for a long, well, since Calvert-Lewin first got that injury in yeah. August last year. You really haven't had that luxury at all. Like as soon as he was fit, you had to go right, throw him straight back in and yeah. just see what he can do. And probably that's where his latter problems have uh, arisen from. So if there's an opportunity to give him, you know, maybe an extra week off, and perhaps that is the thing that you know allows him to have a few months of consistent game yeah. time rather than you know a few weeks and then maybe just before the World Cup he picks up another sort of injury. Uh, you know, obviously it's hard to predict when somebody's going to get injured uh, with something like this. But I think, thankfully, Everton are in a position now where they don't, in my opinion at least, they don't really need to take that risk on Calvert-Lewin. If if there is doubt on him, you know, Neil Mopé is going to be absolutely fine for this weekend's game. And I would argue he starts anyway. Maybe Calvert-Lewin only gets the last 15 minutes if he's on the bench regardless. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether he's involved at all this weekend. But I was, I would suggest that if there's any doubt, then you know, just just save him from Man United, in my opinion. I mean, uh, Paul, uh, Joe asked Adam and myself the same question earlier in the week. But I'm interested to get your thoughts on it. I mean, firstly, 
Would you go with Mopé rather than Calvert-Lewin? And are you concerned with the way that Everton seemingly wrapping him in cotton wool, like uh, the way he was so robust, durable a couple of years ago, and just the way that Frank seems to be treating him now? Yeah, there's a there's a level of concern, and it's it's a level of concern for the player as well because he went on record, didn't he? How tough a season it was for a variety of reasons for him last year, and it you know it, it seems reading Frank Lampard's latest quotes in there. On overnight, our ten thirty piece last night that he was, he was absolutely flying on the United States tour, looking brilliant. I was at the the Kiev games, got a great yeah. header, looked really good. He did look really good against Palace, I thought as well. I thought he was, he was excellent in that game, and and, and probably before the, the sending off against Brentford at home. So it, it sounds like this was a serious injury he picked up, you know, and that had to have been a massive setback for him, given given what given what happened, you know, last season. So. I think that key quote, what Frank said, then he said, it's not, it's not playing it safe. It's just playing it with UK. And we've got, uh, obviously there's, we all want him back as Evertonians. He's the number nine. He's, you know, he's, he's, when he's fit and firing, he's a brilliant striker for this club. Uh, but I think we've got duty to the player as well. I'm a duty to the player as well. We've got to make sure when he's back, he's truly back because you don't want to get in a cycle of coming back, having a setback, coming back. Cause you, I know that you've seen that with players, you know, even, even look, someone who used to play across the park from like Daniel Sturridge, you don't want to see that happening. You know, you you don't want to see setback after setback after setback. And the fact that Neil Morpai's come in, he's a proper centre forward, he's got a great goal last time out. If, if there's any doubts about Calvert-Lewin for this weekend whatsoever, don't risk him. Uh, but it does sound from what Frank was saying that if not this Saturday, he'll certainly be back for the United game uh, the, the Sunday after. You know, yeah, we've... It's just a shame we didn't have that safety net earlier in the season in those first three or four games because who knows how many more points we could possibly have. Well, that's that's been and gone now. But no, I I, I do agree with Frank's Frank's words that it's best just just to just to take a bit of care. There. Yeah. Paul, if you if he is fit, would you still go with would you still go with Mope now? Sorry, yeah, probably didn't answer your question, mate. Yeah, yeah I would, I would, I'd go with Mope again. Yeah, yeah, and about um. You, Gav, I mean, Gav, you've spoken quite extensively on now. Um, all of a sudden now, um, Calvert Loons of a certain age, he's no longer a youngster, and if yeah. injuries start to to um, creep up on you. Uh, how important do you think it is for Everton this season to have a fit and firing Dominic Calvert Lewin? It's very important because I know Mopey's come in and done well, but we've got a We've not exactly got a surface of options up front, have we? Yeah. And 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 the good the good thing about Calvert Lewin and Mope is they're both two completely different types of strikers. So yeah. they, collectively they've got they cover off most of what you wanted in a striker, but they haven't got that all them skills individually. Yeah. Calvert Lewin's good in the air, pacey, maybe hasn't got the awareness of what's going on around him and capable of bringing other players in and playing a little bit off the cuff. Where Mope will work really hard, has got an appreciation of players around him. That got me, and as several people have said, uh, mentioned that goal against West Ham, that Cavalier would never score a goal like that. Yeah. He's not that type of player. That and that's hasn't got that striker's instinct. So collectively, they've got all the striker's um, characteristics that he wants. But not as one person, so you need both. Um, as much as as much as out, you know, if that if Calvin, Cal, Calvin Lewis, Calvin, 
Um, he was a he was another one. Calvin, that was Calvin Smith. I get Calvin Smith and Carl Lewis <laughs> up there to an Evans striker. Um, if Calvin Lewin played, I wouldn't necessarily mean that's more paid off. By the way, you think it could actually be a strike partnership? Yeah, a classic big man. Playing as part of a three. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I think that at some point that is an option that we may want to consider this season. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Going back to your original question. Vital yeah. for us to have a fit and fire and Carver Lewin uh, this season. The concern I've got at the moment is Frank's also saying the same thing he said a fortnight ago, isn't he? Yeah. Around his fitness. Said, oh, we might be, won't be, you know, maybe for West Ham, but it'll be given next to fortnight and be ready for Southampton. He's now saying, oh, not so sure about Southampton, leave it till yeah. Man United. I just hope there's something not going on there that, yeah. you know, is being kept kept away from people for, for lots of different reasons. I just I just hope it is what Frank is saying. It is, and it is just maybe just being extra cautious and maybe Mope coming in and doing well across a couple of games. You probably think I've got a little bit of breathing space here. I can, I can work with the player to get him fit and fire him. Yeah. I mean, Gav, you mentioned you, they could play as, as a partnership, but would, would Mope be your choice tomorrow? If, oh, oh, yes, Absolutely. Yeah. I think if Frank's, I mean, especially because we're away from home at Southampton, if it was a home game, perhaps, I know it sounds daft that. Um, I just hope it's a little bit, a little bit less windy going to Southampton than what it was last year. I think, uh, was, it the, was that the, the game yeah. that was? You're bringing back horrible memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in the midst of Storm Eunice. Yeah. So, um, so let's hope it's Storm Neil at the. Um, <laughs> Southampton tomorrow. Yeah, I, I think all day long we'll pay tomorrow rather yeah. than Calvert-Lewin. The thing that um, Frank was asked about Adam was James Garner because obviously mm-hmm. he paid a lot of money bringing him in. Hasn't played yet and did well for the un- under-21s in midweek. I mean, that's all great, but would you stay keeping that same midfield or would you find a way of bringing Garner in? I think if you're going to keep if you're going to keep the same system, like if we're presuming that Seamus Coleman is just going to come in at right back, for example, yeah. rather than you know, madly switching it up and putting it over right wing back again or something like that. Yeah, but like, let's let's if he's if he's going to keep the same system, then yeah, I, I don't think there's any real need to change the midfield at the minute because I think those three work really well in tandem uh, against West Ham. I thought it was really interesting to see that it wasn't just Iwobi pushing forward from that midfield three. Onana was getting himself into the box yeah. uh, out of possession. Garner was pressing. Uh, almost alongside Mope yeah. in like a in like a four four two style of football. So realistically, I think given how well they performed last time out, I don't think there's any real need to change that. But I think Lampard's comments on James Garner were were really interesting. It was nice to have that little look uh, behind the curtain, almost the uh, you know his conversation with him as soon as he joined, and yeah. you know playing himself admitted that he probably wasn't as fit as he needed to be thanks to. You know, him looking for a move yeah. uh, towards the end of his time at Manchester United, so you know, he, he just wasn't in training as much as he was as he was having conversations about a potential transfer. It was really important for him to get those minutes under his belt for the twenty ones. I think he played really, really well in that game as well, uh, playing as sort of a, a number six and in more of a defensive midfield role uh, for them. I thought it, that was really promising, and I think hopefully over the coming weeks we get to see him come off the bench and maybe maybe prove prove himself in that sense. And you know, if he continue if he performs 
like that off the bench in the coming weeks, then yeah, the, I think there's a conversation to be had about what Everton's best midfield trio might be in that scenario. But at the minute, I do just think that it, it's it's a situation where if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And I think Everton's midfield three against West Ham did look so good, not just as individuals in the way they played, but how they linked together in tandem. And I think it would be a shame to try and break that up as much as you know, Garner could be you know, one for the future and he could be a phenomenal talent in a couple of years' time. And you obviously want to give him that chance to progress in yeah. that sense. I do think there's <laughs> the argument is there as well that they're actually playing quite well in midfield at the minute. I don't think there's any there's any uh, drastic need to try and change that, especially with this, you know, being an away game and one that Everton just need to get points out of. I think just stick with what we know for the minute and uh, and uh, see how that goes. But I think you know the 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 performance that Garner put in for the twenty ones was promising enough for me to suggest that you know he could get a few appearances off the bench in the coming weeks. And fingers crossed, he might be able to force his way into that midfield. Yeah, I mean, Paul, that midfield um, against West Ham was the first time, obviously, the trio had been together. I mean, did you like the balance of that? Did would that be your choice going forward? Yeah, hundred percent. Is first time they've all started together, wasn't it? Because yeah, uh, yeah. Vanagay came off the bench in the derby. Uh, I think you did a piece, didn't you? Uh, after the game, I'll be showing the underlying kind of stats of how well yeah. they dovetail together. And I thought they just look so at home. And I thought it was pretty telling because. We lost 1-0 to West Ham last season, didn't we? And I thought Rice and Suchek really ran the show. I thought they looked really, really strong. And I thought last time out, that wasn't the case. I thought we we won the midfield battle and they do seem to complement each other so well. I suppose one thing that potentially they could be lacking, maybe asking a bit too much too soon, is goals. But, you know, they, they look like uh, a really good uh, three there. And it, it's interesting what you said about Garner because I know you wrote about it because after the press conference yesterday and it, it's clearly Lampard sees him as a player for now and the future. And you just wonder what that might mean for Decore because it, it seems to be Garner is one of those players who can play in different positions but I've heard he's a box-to-box midfielder and like we've, we've gone from a position of weakness in centre midfield to a real position of strength because we've we've got six players there including Tom Davis and I think he's a a decent squad player and from what Frank Lampard was saying yesterday I think he's going to try and keep him around uh, and if it, I just don't think six into three goes long term if that's how we play and certainly not going to sign Garner and then imagine loan him out next season so I, I wonder what that means for the core eh? but you know yeah I've seen a bit of him for England and 21s look really promising everything who watched him for Forest last year everyone was saying they were gutted they didn't get him on a permanent basis and I know you can't take that, you know, well, he's going to be great for us, but the reaction from Forest fans was, yeah, we were really shamed we've not signed him this season. So, yeah, I, I, I imagine the game time he'll get is if there's another injury or, or maybe some time off the bench, maybe in the Bournemouth Cup game in a, in a month or so's time because I thought those three against West Ham were brilliant and if they can keep up those kind of level of performances, I, I think they'll take some budget on the team. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it's staggering, really, in that you know Frank Lampard when he first came in, he was struggling to get a, a couple of midfielders on the pitch at any one time, and then all of a sudden now Allen's gone because he was de facto seventh choice, given that there were six in the match day squad ahead of him against West Ham. I mean, obviously over a long season, there are different conditions and different matches that you want, but do you see the current trio um, being the 
like predominant combination that he'll use? Or do, do you think that that the, the, he will just sort of uh, move it around as, as the season goes along? Um, I think the latter. Yeah. Um, I think. I think the pro. I, I think we spoke about this the other week, didn't we? I think for what we, what Frank wants in the team now, because it's still relatively early in the season, and we're picking up points, but we've only won what one game is. You yeah. know, it goes back to our still addressing the weaknesses of last season, which is effectively whatever many goals we conceded, the 66, 68, whatever it is, mm. is that needs to stop. We need to get the goals conceded right down, which we have done, and that's been basically with a four or five man defence and, and a midfield that's. I think still relatively defensive, the way it's set up. Um, but in the longer term, for us to, to push on, we need to have a little bit more imagination in the in the middle of the park. And I think it's it's that except this other week, that classic midfield of of a, a somebody who's a six, somebody who's an eight who'll get up and down the pitch and put fires out, and somebody who's a ten who'll who'll, who'll create things in and around the Opposition box and and with the, between the ten and eight have a goal threat. Don't yeah. think we've got that at the moment at that today, no. um, and that's where I think Garner comes in. I mean, if you if you're being completely honest, yeah, I think it's a really good midfield. We've got we've got no goals. <laughs> we've got no goals. We you know that that's it. But you want we haven't got a Tim Cale or somebody like that for midfield when mm. we first came. We score you ten goals a season. You know, collectively, I don't think there's many goals there, and that. Going forward for us to push on, that's the type of thing that we need to to have. And so I, I think eventually we'll see a three of Garner, as in James Garner, yeah. as a six, and Anna as an eight, and then as a ten. It's an incestant one, isn't it? Because I don't think Iwobi's going to get you many goals. Incestant to see, I read last week, that we're after an attacking midfielder in um, in January. And yeah, yeah, there's an argument to say that of the three at the moment, going forward, the only one who's guaranteed the place is probably Onana. Yeah. And um, I think I, I fully agree with that because to push on and for us to be in and around the top eight, that's the type of thing we need from our midfield. I think at the moment, great for what we want to do, keep it tight, not concede, accumulate points without really being too ambitious. But going forward to kick on, and I'm talking six, eight months down the line here, I'm mean, sure of our Premier League safety. Someone a bit different, someone a bit more adventurous. We can start scoring more goals than what we're doing at the moment. Yeah. So I'm talking about goals, scoring goals, but when it comes to uh, not conceding goals, uh, Jordan Pickford had, had another great night for England in, in that he didn't play. <laughs> and and uh, again, it's all uh, it's clamour for him to supposedly be displaced, and it's something I think. The hat trick yourself, Joe, and myself, we all tweeted on it afterwards. Yeah. Imagine if, if Pickford had made that mistake. And yeah. uh, Lampard said, Good news, he's, he's back um, mm-hmm. tomorrow. But yet again, um, this idea that Jordan Pickford, he's, he's not missed until he's not there. One of his understudies makes a, a blooper. Well, that's it. Like, yeah. I, I think. I'm 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 beyond this conversation at the, at this point now, and yeah, you know, fingers fingers crossed. I hope Jordan Pickford is kind of yeah. beyond thinking about this at this point because the narrative just won't go away. Like he's yeah. he's, he's performed you know consistently uh, consistently well for Everton for probably nigh on twenty months now. You you yeah. you, you would argue, but you, you know you just see so many. You know, I'd almost understand if it was fans of other clubs who you know maybe just don't watch Everton. 
and they maybe yeah. still have this narrative around them. But you know, there's national, there's like actual like national publications and national journalists who are still saying these things about Jordan Pickford, and it's just like, come on, like watch him. <laughs> That's all you yeah. need to do is watch him. He was he was Everton's Player of the Season by a mile last year yeah. because he was absolutely phenomenal and consistent in how well he was performing as well. So it, I just think the, the conversation whenever it comes to England just absolutely baffles me. And it is really, really good news that he's that he's fit again and he'll be able to play against Southampton. And that's not not, not to discredit Asmir Begovic at yeah. all because I think he has a really solid performance against West Ham. And I think he is solid backup. But, you know, Jordan Pickford has the capability of producing those spectacular saves that, you know, there's a handful of goalkeepers in the world might be able to produce. Avmir Begovic isn't one of those handful of, yeah. of goalkeepers. So, you know, Jordan Pickford, whenever he's in the team, he's the leader from the back as well. You know, you can you can really tell he's grown into that role. You have the captain's armband for a reason at the start of the year. So, yeah, I, I just think it's it's really good news for Everton that he's that he's back in, in the fold. And I really do hope that he, you know, maybe he can even just have a, a little bit of a laugh <laughs> at, at this point at the uh, at the narrative that keeps following following him around uh, when England comes around because let's be honest if he's fit for the World Cup he's playing for England in the World Cup like that's that's just the way it is and he's going to absolutely deserve his place in that World Cup as well so fingers crossed he keeps himself fit over the next few weeks continues to put in the consistent performances that we've been expecting of him and yeah let's let's just hope we can. Like after this World Cup and a, and a really solid World Cup for Jordan Pickford, we can actually leave this conversation in the past because personally, I am sick of it at this point. Yeah. Paul, does it surprise you? Because, okay, there were, there were Liverpool reasons, there was Virgil van Dijk and that's a long time ago now. And like as Adam says, it's not just coming from, from the Liverpool quarters, but the, 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 there was the clamour for Ramsdale last season and then... He shipped forward against Hungary. I think there was a question mark for all four of those goals if you look back at them. And then obviously what Pope did um, this this week. I mean, does it surprise you that it's still such an issue? No, no, because I think it's just always going to be this way, even though it's absolutely ridiculous. Fans, rival fans, yeah, you, it's got, especially online, you've got to expect it. But I think there's a lot of journalists High-profile ones, you know, not just club writers and things like that. You know, we really should know better because anyone who's watched Pickford, as Adam said, for the last 20 months, certainly since, you know, when Carlo Ancelotti swapped him with Robin Olsen for a few games, mm. his form by and large has been excellent for Everton. And if you want to dig into the data, you, like you look at Everton, is it the second-best uh, second goals against record uh, this year in the league? But I think even like the, the, the kind of deeper stats, I think... Pickford by far away is the top goalkeeper Everton would have should have been expected to have conceded a lot more goals this season and that they haven't is down to Pickford and you know taking away his Everton form are they do they not watch him for England <laughs> like you know do they not watch him for England like he, I, I can't think it was a game in Spain a Nations League game where I think England went three up and then nearly lost it at the end I think three two and I think I think he had a few shaky moments but this is the goalkeeper that's helped England into a World Cup semi-final and a European Championship final and has probably been in the top two or three goalkeepers in both of those tournaments. I think it's really disrespectful from journalists, to be honest, you know, who cover the national teams. I don't know whether it's just a, you know, an easy click, you know, or it's like you see, I think it's like one of a, one Sky Sports, or another national broadcaster doing a, a poll on who should start for England. Like, 
there shouldn't be a debate now. There shouldn't be the debate now about it. And like, yeah, I think Nick Pope's a fine goalkeeper. I think Ramsdale's a fine young goalkeeper, but they are not as good as Jordan Pickford. And like, the problem is he he probably like all goalkeepers, he probably will make a mistake for Everton maybe before the World Cup. He may make mistake for for England at the World Cup, but I think what he's done in an England shirt and particularly in an Everton shirt over these you know these last couple of seasons justifies his place for a number one. But I think he, I think Adam's right. I'm fed up, sick about talking about it. But I think we're just going to have to continue talking about it because it just seems like a, an easy thing to to do, particularly on social media on Twitter. You know, whenever England play, Gav, it seems to be the most natural thing in the world to think that the, uh, there's a paranoia about your particular football club or everyone's. <laughs> against you um but you suggested in the past perhaps there's some sort of uh, deeper reasoning behind yeah. this this form of prejudice with pickford yeah yeah where he's from background some of his behavior i think um yeah so there's been a couple of things he's not done himself any favors i think he I think if he's from other parts of the country i don't think he got the same stick i think it's Sort of the same things that have afflicted people like Wayne Rooney in the past, possibly Ross, Ross Barkley, um, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but, but sort of it's your background and, you know, your social background, I mean, which part of the country you're from, I think uh, definitely comes into it. If, if Jordan came, come from, say, Leafy Surrey <laughs> or Hampshire, I don't think you get the the same stick, and 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 I think that 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 thinking not just applies to J- Jordan Pickford as a football; it applies to lots of people in sport generally and beyond sports. And I think there's definitely definitely some of that in it. Um, I'm just fed up with the whole thing now. I don't know which you're more fed off fed up of people saying that Pickford should be questioned as England's number one. And these type of conversations, we, we have conversations about people questioning whether Pickford mm. should be number one. It's just, yeah. it's just sort of feeding off, they're feeding yeah. off each other. It becomes like some sort of iterative process. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think so. With, with Jordan, I think it, 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 there's, there's, there's some deeper, deeper stuff going on there. Uh, I mean, I think you know, Raheem Sterling is another player, isn't he? He's had yeah. that sort of stick. Um, I think that there's there's, there's um, definitely a I won't say a class thing as a certain bling thing maybe going on. I, I just think uh, it's 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 reflective of how the media and we are part of media and I'm doing a podcast. It, it covers these type of stuff, which you need to remember. And I I think with Pickford, I think it's definitely definitely applies. But let's face it, I mean put it this way: where would he rank in Premier League goalkeepers top three? Potentially, yeah. yeah. With uh, Allison and Edison, and Edison, City keeper, between top three, can't think of anybody you'd have in a top three apart from them three, would you? In Premier League at the moment, no. the hair is, is okay, but it's easy fits and starts, hasn't he? Over the last few years, but uh, I think he'd be top three or four Pickford, which is considering the other two odds, possibly the two best goalies in the world or thereabouts, is uh, is saying something, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. Well, Gav, Gav has mentioned Leafy Hampshire there. Uh, we'll go to a not-so-leafy part of Hampshire <laughs> tomorrow, so it's predictions time. Um, Southampton, Everton, how do you uh, lead us off? What do you reckon for that one? It's not been an easy hunting ground for Everton, uh, traditionally, over the last uh, recent years, has it? Um, I think a 1-1 draw 
I think, and I, I, to be honest, I'd take a one-one draw yeah. from from that kind of game, uh, especially like coming off the back of the international break. Probably wasn't the best time. The international break would have preferred Everton to be able to build up a little bit of a head of steam. But yeah, I think a little one-one draw just to prove Gav wrong. It will be getting on the score oh, wow. sheet. Wow. <laughs> there we go. Wow. Um, I was going to say the Flair score goals is the amount of goals that he scores is the. Uh... <laughs> Oh yeah. but, but I, I will stick with I'll stick. I'll go with Paul. Keep with the running order, Paul. What do you reckon? Yeah, bit of a test. This one for us, isn't it? You know, had a great run of results up until the international break, or not great, but two good couple of away points, really good performance in the derby, and then the win against West Ham. I think this is a bit of a good good indicator of how far we've come because, or how far not how far we've come, how much we're progressing. Because uh, mm. Southampton away, as you you said, then guys, like it's traditionally quite a tough place for us to go, uh, but. I'm confident, and I, I, I might fancy a one 0 Everton win tomorrow. Well, there we go. What about you, Gav? Uh, we're going to win three 0 A will be tomorrow. It's going to be low scoring. Is it? Is it? How many goals have we scored in our seven games? Is it ten? Oh. Something like that. Yeah. In in our Not so more than one, have they? In any, in, yeah, any yeah. Picture. So looking back on the, the the story so far, the season not going to be high scoring game. I, I'm going to go with Everton winning one nil. I just I just can't see us conceding many at the moment for the reasons was uh, mentioned. And I'm going to get Everton one nil and Mope again. I just would that be a big game because it's a Brighton and Southampton. They've got a bit of a rivalry going, haven't they? I think yes. over the years. <laughs> um, I think he'll be up for that, won't he? Uh, so one nil. I'll even mention the goal scorer Mopay for me. Wow, yeah. I mean, I guess I've got to stay positive. Now, really. <laughs> I mean, we've not got Joe Thomas onto us today. He's normally ridiculously positive. Yeah. He's not been ground down like the rest of us. <laughs> 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 yeah. So um, yeah, why not? I, I've got to go there with Joe. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll say one nil as as well so yeah it's pretty positive there yeah be emphatic considering Everton's record down there on the south coast hopefully we're correct um obviously uh either way we'll be discussing it um next week um and then our next pod but that's all for today um i've been your host chris beasley joined by adam jones paul wheelock and gavin buckland and this has been the royal blue podcast you've been listening to the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo